Welcome to our special seven questions edition of How to Win a Campaign. I'm Joe Fold, and you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter and at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. In this series, we're talking with some of our favorite authors, content creators, and influencers. You can find the seven questions that inspired this conversation at thecampaignworkshop.com or in the show notes. Today's guest is Nadia Belkin. Nadia Belkin is the founding executive director at the Asian American Power Network, AAPN, where she works to help build progressive political power in Asian American communities and across other communities of color. Nadia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Glad to be here with you today. Glad to have you here. So to start off, why is it important to see increased API and Asian American representation at the local, state, and federal level? That is a great question, and I'm so glad that I have an opportunity to talk to you this month because it is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. The reason that we want to celebrate and, and take this moment is because the AAPI monolith title actually represents 50 plus ethnic groups and 100 plus languages. So there is a very big population that we are trying to mobilize. I'm not sure if you saw the data coming out of the 2020 census, but the AAPI population is actually the fastest growing in this country. We actually have seen a 36% growth in population over the past decade, which is exceptionally exciting. It means that we've got a, our hands full, I think, in terms of the electoral power building efforts and capturing that AAPI vote to really help us create a reflective democracy. But the thing is, even though we are the fastest growing population in the country, we only represent 0.9% of all elected leadership positions. And so you might be thinking to yourself, oh gosh, is that just at the congressional level? The answer is no, that's at all different levels of the ballot. So representation, I think, is a key conversation point here for us. Um, the Asian American community, as I mentioned, is very diverse in nature. We have a presence in all 50 states. We're present in every single different industry, right? So I think our voice, our perspective, and our lived experience can really help refine and define the communities that we're living in. And access to the ballot box, access to the conversation around democracy and legislation is really where we can help catalyze change in our community. So I think that representation component is huge. And we can also be very much solutions oriented, right? We live in our communities. We've seen the impacts. How can we help create the change that we want to see? And I also think if we see better representation in our communities, I think that's a really good through line to seeing better turnout for the AAPI community. I'll be honest, I'm in this work because of the lack of AAPI representation. And so when I saw Congresswoman Pramila Jaipal, I thought, oh my gosh, here we are where the tides are turning. I see a woman who looks like me in elected office. And that was actually a motivator for me to come and turn out. So I think it's about the solutions and I think it's about representation. And frankly, we want to participate and help cultivate a more reflective democracy. Yeah. So how will increased political representation for AA communities and AAPI communities affect anti-AAPI rhetoric and hate crimes? 
Yeah, you know, unfortunately, the Asian American community is on the national stage and in more conversations because of the increase in violence. And the Stop AAPI Hate campaign has actually reported 10,000 cases of violence toward the Asian American community between March 2020 and September 21. And I just want to acknowledge that actually that number is, is lower than what we think the actual statistics are, because many times this goes unreported. So I think the role that Asian Americans can play in the larger conversation around democracy and once we see greater representation is that we can add visibility to the issues that we are facing. Congresswoman Grace Meng has really been on the front lines talking about what the impacts are on our community and has also been really instrumental in proposing some of the policy changes, right, that have been moving through Congress. So I think it's it's about adding a voice and a lived experience and showing the perspective of what it means to be on the receiving end of this hate. We know that these types of instances have happened in the past, but I think this is a turning point for us to be part of the solution around how we eliminate the Asian American hate that we're seeing in this country. So I think there's a stock guard that we represent. We are part of the solution and the innovation around some of that change. And then I also wanted to talk about some of the innovation that we have seen in states. So Illinois actually just passed the Teaching Equitable Asian American History Act. It'll go into effect in 2022, which is where we are. But that is a way for us to introduce Asian American heritage into public school curriculum. So there won't be as much questions about who we are, what our history in the country has been. It's a way for us to dispel the us versus them myth and have a hand in crafting the narrative and explaining our stories and trajectory in this country. One of the things I would also note is that I'm, I'm from Colorado. Japanese internment camps were actually based here in Colorado. It's a part of the Colorado History Museum, but it's not a part of the conversation that is in in broader textbooks, right? That's a part of anti-Asian American hate that has a legacy in this country, but we need to spend time unpacking it, understanding what it means and its roots. I think there's modern iterations of racism. We're happening to see it more at this moment in time, but it doesn't mean it hasn't existed. And so we want to spend a little bit more time unpacking who we are. And this is just one of the ways that we can contribute through a policy and legislative lens. Your initiative that you've been taking on with this organization to sort of build engagement and political power is something that I've hoped for for like a really long time, and there's been a lack of it. So first, I'd like to know, why do you think that is? And then what are you all doing as an organization differently now to build and engage in political power? So I am absolutely thrilled that this organization, the Asian American Power Network, has come to fruition. It was actually born out of state groups wanting a space to be in conversation with other Asian American groups about their electoral strategy. So AAPN is a C4 infrastructure, which means that we are partisan in our work. We can do lobbying. And so we're spending time focusing on cultivating AAPI power and investing in the infrastructure to do so. So to take a few steps back, a lot of work has happened on the C3 side for the Asian American community. That means civic engagement work, voter registration has happened. And I will name that the Wallace Coulter Foundation actually was really instrumental in one of the primary, if not the main funder for that work in the C3 space. So it became a conversation around, okay, so we have have Asian American voters. 
How do we help educate them around the issues? How do we do year-round engagement to make sure that when it comes time to voting, it's just not transactional? There's a rapport that we've built. The voters are educated and have an understanding of how the issues and the candidates apply to them and their communities. So this C4 work is actually a coalition. And really what we're working to do is amplify the work that is happening on the ground where our groups are organizing 365 days a year. They're the trusted messengers in said community. They do accountability programs. They do education work and they do issue advocacy during the full year. So our strategy is a little bit different because we are in states 365 days a year we're looking at meeting voters where they're at and we're also focused on implementing really unique organizing methods like in-language work. Our network is broad. We are in nine different states. We work with 10 different organizations. Um, we're in some battlegrounds, some progressives, blue stronghold states. So every iteration looks a little bit different, but the through line here is really wanting to engage non-transactionally in building API power and cultivating electoral power and doing the base building work. So that's really where we're coming in in a way that is unique because it's a streamlined conversation about electoral strategy. It gives our groups an opportunity to gut check assumptions, uh, to think about best practices. It's an opportunity for us to actually be in conversation with one another as we do this demographic specific work. And I think that's what has been unique. That is what has been missing. And it's also an opportunity for us to speak with one voice at the national level around what are some of the key needs around data reform, research investment, and overall investment in groups on the ground who are the trusted messenger and practitioners that can really help us refine and define our engagement within this community. Yeah. So what have you found to be the most challenging part of building this infrastructure? We have been working really hard to clarify that there is infrastructure that has already existed in states for a long time. I think because the progressive infrastructure has often taken Asian Americans for granted as part of the progressive base, not as much investment has gone into this community as it should. We are really hungry to really build out that footprint, the depth in the communities where we are working. I think as we look back in past cycles, Asian Americans really have been making incremental gains in terms of turnout. So if we wanted to look at a battleground like North Carolina, turnout in 2014 was 27%. We see the increase in 2018 up to 44%, and then in 2020, a whopping 72%. So our groups have been in states really building rapport with these communities, helping increase the vote share and turnout. One really exciting development to highlight is our group in Pennsylvania that really took advantage of Governor Wolf's vote by mail program in 2020. They helped do all of the outreach to the Asian American community and actually helped increase the vote share overall. With that vote by mail program, they saw the highest rate of, of sign up in the state and Asian Americans were actually the second highest demographic group to return their ballots by mail. So it's those types of interventions that our groups have really focused on to cultivate that percentage of the vote share. And I'll also add, I think there are really specific ethnic considerations we need to be cognizant of as we're trying to mobilize this community. One of the findings is the Vietnamese community actually skews more right. 
South Asians and Korean Americans, they skew more left. So what are the right message frames and trusted messengers that need to be in community to mobilize our groups? That's where our groups actually have their finger on the pulse of the conversation and can help best define where we should invest, how we should invest, and when. I think that's it's a feedback loop of expertise that we're really trying to elevate into the national space. And again, we're not starting from scratch. There is Asian American infrastructure that has helped move the needle in past election cycles. The proof is in the pudding, right? Now we want to focus on building on those gains going into 2022, going into 2024. It's about making sure that permanent infrastructure does exist moving forward. So let's dig into that just a little bit more. So how should reaching out and engaging with the Asian American community be part of a campaign's plan to win? Okay, so this has actually been my favorite question of the year because what I've been asking people is, are Asians a part of your plan to win? That's actually a trick question because they do need to be part of your plan to win. If we look back at the data from 2020, I think you'll remember that Biden won by 12,760 votes in Georgia. How does that translate to Asian American organizing? There are 300,000 registered Asian Americans in the state. The good news is that our group in Georgia, the Asian American Advocacy Fund, is rooted and has program in the five most diverse AAPI-rooted populations in the state. So they are already working on furthering that turnout going into 2022. So Asian Americans really can be the margin of victory. We might be a minority, but we can help be the majority when it comes to electoral wins. Another way of looking at this is there is an open Senate seat in North Carolina. There are 107 registered Asian Americans in this state. Raleigh represents 23% of that population. And guess what? North Carolina Asians in Action is the AAPI group that is in community already working with those groups. So their work, I think, is very unique as well because 78% of that AAPI population is low English proficiency. So where NCAT in Action steps in is that they are communicating with voters in 21 languages to meet the moment. So our groups are aware of, A, where the population resides, B, how that population breaks down, and C, is equipped to do the cultural competent work that translates to the in-language organizing that really helps be the invitation for many of those voters. I will say that, you know, some of the things that our community is facing is we are a community of immigrants. Many of us have had to assimilate in this country. And I think also there's a component of this work where we're looking at how best to organize amongst different generations. So these groups on the ground, the ones that are under the Asian American Power Network banner, are the ones that have a through line into those communities and are willing to start those conversations and remain in them for 365 days a year. You know, I think many voters that we're looking to in engage, they need an invitation into the democratic process. And we are the ones that can help do that. And I think that's the big thing for us is that we see our value in the electoral space. We understand the math around how Asian Americans can be the way that we win in the progressive space. We just need to be equally as courted by the progressive infrastructure and candidates themselves. So if I'm a campaign that wants to engage more with the Asian Pacific American community, what do I do? How should I engage how should I, I see that I need to do that with my campaign? Where do I start? 
Yeah, so I am proud to announce that several of our groups, including groups in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Georgia, have all released their endorsements in the past month. So being in conversation with our groups about your values, about how you view our community in a non-transactional way, but how you can best serve our community, because we are part of the constituency that you will ultimately serve, is a really good way to start it. I also would encourage individuals and candidates and campaigns to think about who are the voters that we're trying to reach and what specifically or what unique components might they need. So is it in-language outreach? Is it creating a town hall where translation services are available? Those are the things that can help Asian Americans feel more part of the conversation, feel more educated when they come to the ballot box and be seen by campaigns. Oftentimes we are the last investment (laughs) or we're not even considered. And I will name that doing this work in language, being able to do translation in 21 languages, it's expensive. But at the end of the day, it's worth it because there's a portion of the electorate that hasn't been invited to participate just yet. I think sometimes campaigns ignore these populations to their peril. Correct. They don't engage. They don't think about how to do the local outreach that's needed. And in many places that folks are running, Asian Americans, the AAPI community overall is a bigger portion of the population than folks think. Yes. But they just haven't traditionally reached out, so they don't do that. And so I think part of the job of good campaigns is to really sort of dig in and say, who should we be talking to? How do we engage? And doing it early. I would completely agree with that. And I think, you know, what we're what we're also seeing is we can help really create smarter and better campaigns, and we can help with that messaging around how these issues land on us or what are the issues that are most important to us. So creating those feedback loops with the community should actually be part of your plan to win, not just a conversation that we have once and then think that it's covered. We want to be in constant conversation as issues around housing, the economy, education, All of that matters to us. But again, we're part of a monolith. We want to help you unpack that so that you can truly see us and that we can help be the messengers for the campaigns and for the values that a candidate or campaign would espouse, but that really would help mobilize our community. So talk a little bit more about that. So if there is a specific issue, how has that in the past landed different in the Asian American community than with the general population overall? What would be the kind of changes that a campaign should be thinking about making in their messaging? Yeah, so I think a really good example has been the supply chain issue with China. And I think some of the narrative, even coming from some of our progressive candidates, which we want to challenge them on, is really making sure that the message frames don't other. It ties back to Asian American hate and the instances of violence that we've seen. How can we help candidates and campaigns understand the way those message frames land in our community and what it leaves us vulnerable to? I think the us versus them messaging is a very real challenge that we are up against. And so a solution might be, you know, naming, for example, specifically what the issues are with the with the supply chain. Who are the individuals responsible? Is it is it a specific leadership? Is it certain organizations? Let's name them as opposed to just broadly painting China as the villain. And again, I, I want to be very cognizant that the economy is very much an issue that impacts us day to day. 
And so we do need to find positive reform. We just don't want that to be at the expense of our community. And so it's a through line of saying, okay, this is how it leaves us vulnerable. Why don't we try this message frame? Because the other part of this is Republicans are making a very concerted effort to pull Asian Americans away from the progressive base. How do they do that? They're investing in our community with different message frames, right, that are appealing to our community. The Asian Pacific American Community Center popped up in Orange County in 2021 ahead of the Gavin Newsom recall and ahead of the 2022 midterms, really focusing on the Vietnamese American population. Right. So there are things that are already moving that are drawing our voters away from us. So we want to help be part of the conversation and some of the interventions that can help keep our base strong and allow Asian Americans to be part of the conversation and the plan to win. So it all comes full circle, I think. Absolutely. And I think it's really being willing to have this conversation early. I think sometimes what happens in conversations around voter engagement is whether that's through field or that is direct voter engagement that you're doing through reaching out to specific groups is a lot of that happens way too late. People think that you can do that at the very end of a campaign, and it should be, and the messaging should be a part of your planning from the very beginning, not at the end. I would agree 100%. And when I say 365 days a year in states, it means that we're talking to voters about what's happening in their legislature. Looking at some of the voter suppression bills that have come out of Georgia, right, in the past few cycles, that's actually an organizing tool for us because we can help translate for voters. This is what it means if you don't have access to the ballot box on Sundays, right? Many of our voters are small business owners. They might not have the ability to step away. So if they had access on the weekends to the ballot box, that's a way for them to participate. But it's on us to help create those through lines and help define what voter suppression is and then define it for our communities and help mobilize, right? So we're looking at carrying these conversations on throughout the duration of the year and the cycle so that a voter doesn't feel like, hey, we knocked on your door in October, November. We want you to vote, but we haven't really told you about the candidates or the issue or why you matter to us. That's why I think our groups are so important because they're doing the deep canvas. They're in the field all the time, figuring out what voters need, what issues matter, why they're changing in importance, and what are some of the possible solutions we can put forth and help create. So is there a particular group organization that you felt like has done well in doing this outreach early on the progressive side or throw me a lifeline that somebody is doing it well? I'm very proud to say that all of the groups under our banner have adopted this form of organizing, deep, intentional, non-transactional, sustained engagement. And so I would love to point our listeners to the Asian American Power Network's website. You can find us at AA powernetwork.org. On that, you'll find our whole list of organizations. And please click on our interactive map because it'll take you to the groups themselves. Um, So you can get a better sense of how they engage with their community, what their organizing strategies are. So all of our groups have done this exceptionally well. And that's the through line is we want to connect those groups on the ground with listeners, with infrastructure partners, with funders, because they are already doing really good work. They need investment to help us meet the moment, to help us meet the expansion. We started talking about the census. 
we are wanting to expand our field footprint to meet that moment and make sure that no voter is left behind because the strategy that we have used in the past cycles, as we've seen that turnout increase, is what we want to build on. So it's a, it's a tried and true method that we really want to just continue investing in. So Nadia, is there any book or podcast that you listen to that you get information from that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, one of the ones that I have really enjoyed is The Purpose of Power, which is by Alicia Garza. It talks about the evolution of the creation of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think really what we talk about there is the way organizing happens on the ground, why we need to listen to the people closest to the pain, but in this case, also closest to the understanding of the community. And I think what's really key for us to remember as well is that progressive power will also be built through points of intersectionality and camaraderie. So there is a lot that we are working to learn from the African-American organizing movement and even from the Latinx Hispanic movement. So, you know, I want us to look across ethnic lines to also figure out how we can continue to build power as we are people of color. You know, I think that is really key for us to spend some time learning from each other, but also being in conversation around what it means to do that ethnic specific work. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and uh, wish you much continued success. Great. Thank you so much for having me. For more on this topic, check out our blog at thecampaignworkshop.com. If you want to hear more guests like these, be sure to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Joe Fold, breaking down how to win a campaign. How to win a campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, Dina Castillo, Amanda Ellis, Porobi Saha, and Anna Cruxen. Music by Danielle Pinto. Sound editing by The Sound Sanagoma. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast.